You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Friday, 10 November. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, uh, Viv Governor from Rand Swiss. I want to touch base on Tesla. I haven't chatted to him around Tesla in well over a year. A lot's happened in that time. I still want to get his sense on that. Steve Binney from SAPI. A tough set of results, but weirdly record SA earnings. And that when you take into account the problems with uh, uh, SCOM load shedding, Transnet, we'll get more details there. And thoughts for me on the asymmetrical returns from individual shares and why this helps drive returns over the long term. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. Durban port congestion headache. International shippers have started charging a congestion surcharge due to turnaround delays at SA ports. Business Day, Sabanya Stillwater bulks up its scrapyard platinum metals portfolio. It's agreed to buy a US-based recycler of green precious metals in a deal worth nearly 4 billion rand. Morning markets, the US was red, both S&P and NASDAQ off 0.8%. Uh, over in the east, also red. Sydney down a quarter of a percent, Tokyo down 0.6%. Commodities are mixed, uh, gold 1,965, Brent 8038, those are your greens. On the red side, platinum 861 and palladium $984 an ounce. Rand, 1867. Bitcoin, 36,710. down 1.5% in the Hong Kong uh, lunch break. And top 40 opening call, red open, about 410 points to the down. That is 0.6%. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. I'm chatting with Viv Governor from Rand Swiss. Viv, appreciate the time. You and I have chatted a couple of times around Tesla, although not in some time. We had third quarter results out recently. They produced, what, 430,000 vehicles. I remember when they were struggling to get 100,000 a year. You've always said to us it is a tech company, and that's how we need to view it. Is that still the rationale on Tesla? Yes, they're selling EVs, but man, they've got tech in that space. Yes, most certainly. I mean, if you take up the tech aspect, the tech upside would I would put in there the self-driving, mm-hmm. the robo-taxis, and even add in maybe the possibility of the Optimus, uh, that's the robot. There's no way you can justify the current valuation of Tesla versus a general, like, you know, other company in the, in the same space. I mean, Tesla's valuation at the moment, its market cap is it's basically $700 billion. Yeah. Okay. More than the next largest car company in the world, you know what I mean? That, that, that is selling many multiples more cars, you know what I mean? And compared to some things like the Vores and so on out there, it, it's just incredibly valued. But if you added the robot taxis, like you don't, I don't know how to add to value that, quite frankly, because truth be known, if they can get full self driving done properly, like I told you before, the valuation of this company goes up maybe five to 10 times more than it is right now. Because full self-driving vehicles won't just apply to cars on the road. It'll apply to robots in warehouses. It'll apply to 
machines harvesting crops. It'll apply to, you know, to a variety yeah. of different things. And that all comes under basically Tesla would effectively be able to tax every form of transport or moving vehicle in the world, whatever tax it'd be able to charge, you know, sort of like how Google's able to charge every company in the world that wants to advertise a little percentage uh, of their profits. Same thing's going to happen here. And then you could see evaluation of five, even 10 trillion, who knows? But without those things, there's no way it's worth 600 billion or 700 billion wages right now. I take a point on that. And, and certainly, if you look at the self driving, I mean, GM Cruise have just pulled their vehicles in California. They had, I think it was seven or 900 on the road. That was level five. Tesla's got, well, millions of vehicles and they're getting no, that data. Yes, you know, uh, the GM ones, if you look at the statements that came out, was actually negative self-driving, negative five. How are we going to call it here? Because if you look at the amount of workers that we assigned per vehicle, it worked out <laughs> to about 1.5 human beings per cruise vehicle. There was a backup. So effectively, instead of having one driver, you had one and a half people effectively for every vehicle out there. The thing with Tesla, and that's the one thing that's different from, I think, from the other car companies, is that they believe in what they're doing. The cruise thing, the, to a certain extent, EVs among the traditional automakers is almost, you know, you just have to do it because that's what's happening. But this isn't where their true focus is, you know what I mean? I and just on the other hand, I mean, even to a certain extent, the, the, the one thing that will make you believe that they think that they're going to get full self-driving and the robo-taxi stuff done is the price cuts, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Why is this company cutting prices so dramatically out there that they actually are cutting back on revenue? When we all know Tesla doesn't have a problem selling all the vehicles it makes. Like you mentioned, they have a problem producing the vehicles. But if they wanted to sell those vehicles, they could sell those vehicles even at the higher price point. But they're cutting by double-digit percentages across the board, you know, dramatic price cuts and, you know, multiple times a year sometimes. And the reason would be if they actually believe they could have a robo-taxi fleet out there, Get as many vehicles out there because then you have the robo taxis. If they believe full self driving is going to be the next, the future, get more vehicles out there because that's going to have all those knock on effects for your company. And I think the fact that they are so willing to cut prices shows that they actually believe it. Is it realistic or not? I mean, Elon Musk has this, I think Steve Jobs was referred to as having a reality distorting field around him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Elon Musk does have a reality distorting field around him. That being said, that field has worked like it did for Steve Jobs. I mean, the car company, the rocket company, and the Twitter. And I mean, apparently, I just saw in the last couple of days that he's gotten approval to put that chip in people's brains. Yeah, I saw that. And, and, and let's be clear, his, his space company did what everyone said couldn't be done, i.e. bring them back to land. I want to move then yeah. to China, because China's doing a lot in the EV space, way more than the traditional American ice manufacturers. But maybe they're doing it more in the traditional way. They're making cars rather than autonomous, which means the Chinese threat, again, is perhaps not quite the threat many think. Look, I mean, I think once, once you have the model working by Tesla, I think the Chinese will be able to mimic that really quickly, mm. quite frankly, because, you know, it's a case. I don't think it'll be easy to mimic in the West, mind you. I think in the West it'll be difficult to mimic because every accident you have that would not have happened if you had been using the self-driving mm-hmm. uh, thing model developed by Tesla, as opposed to you would open you up to massive amounts of lawsuits and whatever. The Chinese through, you know, maybe their own kind of stuff or maybe some kind of, uh, you know, backhanded dealing. We know that th- this happens. You know, China does have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spies a number of people, places that uh, do take technology, they will be able to step in and, and I think copy that to a large extent. But yeah, the Chinese are approaching it in a different way. That being said, I'm not as a big like bull on China anymore. I think uh, what Xi Jinping has done is 
being quite negative for that country. I mean, I've heard rumors and like six stories out of China from like really senior people they're talking to Chinese counterparts and they say it's like talking to a person in a cult. You'll talk to a senior person in China that, you know, is a normal person like a few years ago, but now for an hour conversation, 40 minutes is about how wonderful Xi Jinping is. Yeah, and we've had this conversation where China was a great story, but maybe Xi Jinping's third term was simply a term too many. Viv Governor, Ransfus, always appreciate the time. And that's our poll today on uh, LinkedIn and X. Are, are you holding Tesla as a, as a share? Price has been under pressure, but as Viv said, it's still an astounding evaluation. Uh, perhaps you think it's crazy. Perhaps you're loving it and making money off it. Have your vote. Have your say. LinkedIn and X. Your money gives a damn. If it could protest and sign petitions, your money would. But your money can do more than that. When you invest in Stanlib's infrastructure investment fund, Beyond getting solid returns, you are helping to build a more sustainable future through job creation and positive economic growth. Damn right you are. Invest for more impact at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Steve Binney, CEO for SAPI. We had results out for both year and quarter ending September. Sales off 20.4%. Operating profit down 50.6%. HEPs off 61.5%. Steve, appreciate the time today. A fair bit of special items during the period, but even looking past that, a tough period. Yeah, it was a tough year for us. Obviously, on the one hand, we've got the global macroeconomic challenges, global inflation and its impact on consumers, which indirectly affects us. And then the other thing that we had is last year was a record year for SAPI. And at the time, there was a lot of shortage of paper and there was supply chain challenges. So a lot of our customers bought extra inventory in the year. And this year, they've been going through a destocking exercise. So that's had a negative impact on the year. Having said that, under the circumstances, we're pretty satisfied with the overall results that finally came out and the profits that we generated. That was going to be my question about the destocking, because as you said, last year there was a pull forward in orders. Are you seeing that destocking start to work its way out of the system to a degree, even if just a little bit? Yeah, it's progressively getting better. If you look at our results for the quarter now that we've just reported, Mm. compared to the prior quarter, it was better. It's not a V-shaped recovery, but it's gradually getting better. And I think we're going to see more of the same in the current quarter. And I'm hoping by the end of this calendar year, we'll be through the whole destocking cycle and markets will normalize as we get into 2024. A tough period, but you mentioned South Africa. South Africa actually did really, really well. Record EBITDA profits in the local region. Yeah, that's right. Funny, when you unpack the results, actually, South Africa had its best year ever. And, you know, we've made investments in recent years, and they're paying dividends. And, you know, despite the challenges we have in South Africa with infrastructure and the like, we were able to generate these great numbers. South African business, which is predominantly an export business, is very well positioned and we're excited about the future growth prospects here as well. To your point, I mean, it's tough in South Africa. The toughest is probably load shedding. If you're exporting, that's not your customers aren't being impacted, but load shedding must be a fairly serious constraint on your local operations. Indeed it is. We're very fortunate that some of the mills that we do generate are in power, mm-hmm. but some of the ones, particularly in Kazuna Natal, we are exposed to somewhat 
We have certain strategic arrangements, but there was unplanned downtime because of load shedding and the like. Our bigger problem, to be honest with you, has been Transnate. We have to move our product around both raw materials and finished goods, and we're a big user of, we were a big user of rail, and unfortunately now we're now having to transport all our goods via road. And you can imagine that's much more expensive, it's less efficient, mm-hmm. and it costs a lot more money. So embedded in these numbers, these good numbers that we've had, is we've got significantly higher logistics costs. And then at the port itself, you know, the inefficiencies that we get at that port, it's, it's ongoing and it's been a real challenge for us. But, you know, somehow we managed to overcome these challenges. Yeah, I mean, life would be glorious without them, but they are. You say you're exporting out of South Africa. What markets are you exporting into? The main product that we export out of South Africa is what we call dissolving pulp. And that's a product that mm. ultimately goes into textiles, clothing. It's a great market for us. SAPI is actually the global leader in making dissolving pulp. And it predominantly goes to China. A lot goes to India and, and other markets like Indonesia, Turkey and the likes where they do manufacture clothing. And it's a very exciting market for us because it's it continues to grow And it's a product, because it's made from wood fiber, it's a renewable, sustainable product, and it has a a much better environmental footprint than polyester or cotton-based textiles. You mentioned that environmental, because you also talk in your outlook, the long-term favorable outlook for sustainable produced packaging. I know there's lots of talk around the, the younger generation coming through and wanting green, but from what you're seeing, they really are spending in that space as well. It's not all just talk. That's right. And it's picking up momentum. And for us, being in the industry that we're in and relying on wood fiber, it really has become a desired raw material source for packaging products. And all the big brands, the FMCG brands, are now talking about replacing their plastic packaging with paper packaging. And, you know, obviously we're well positioned to take advantage of that. And it's a market that we've been making investments in mm-hmm. and we want to continue to grow going forward. Another challenge, I mean you talked some of the challenges up front, another one obviously is inflation, input price pressure. We can see it where you know, you've got price increases in your graphic paper, you've got price increases in packaging and speciality, but in both cases you also got inflation ahead of those price increases. Yeah, that's right. Obviously, you know, over the last year or two in the world, you know, with the war in in Ukraine and its impact on energy prices, Mm -hmm. the high inflation, it's put tremendous pressure on a number of our raw materials. The pressure has eased a little bit in recent quarters, but as we look forward into the new financial year, it does look like costs are starting to pick up again. You know, you see the oil price and it's a lot of the chemicals that we use are based on oil. So Mm -hmm. it does have an impact on us. The coated paper, large product in Europe. But you talk around what you're seeing is long-term favorability for produced packaging remaining unchanged. But you are seeing some trends that are coming, which where some of your products are sort of falling out of favor and you're having to sort of reshift your production. Yeah, traditionally, SAPI's strength was always in what we call graphic paper, yeah. and that's high-end, glossy paper. And obviously, with the shift to digital and iPads and the like, those markets over the last few years have come under tremendous pressure, and there's less demand for high-end, glossy paper. So we've been going through process, and it's over a number of years, a process of reinventing ourselves away from our traditional product base 
towards packaging, and that's what I've been talking about, and obviously the dissolving pulp. So these are growth markets where we can continue to be competitive, and we've been reducing our capacity in graphic paper. So in these results, you'll see that we announced the potential closure of two mills in Europe that make graphic paper. That's going to enable us to reduce our exposure even further to those declining markets. A last question, and talking more around the balance sheet. You've been paying down debt, I don't want to say aggressively, but certainly you've been paying down debt. The balance sheet looking, truthfully, looking nice and healthy. One of our biggest priorities in the last few years has been to reduce debt. We had legacy high levels of debt, and for many years we were over $2 billion of debt. And through a focused drive, we've been able to bring that down. And I'm pleased to say that we're now down to a billion dollars, which is you know less than half. Mm-hmm. And we're much more comfortable with our balance sheet at these levels. We live there, Steve Benny, CEO of SAPI, talking results. Appreciate the insights. When you stay invested over time in Stanlib's Global Multi-Strategy Diversified Growth Fund, your money's in for some smooth sailing. With our global partners, J.P. Morgan Asset Management at the helm, your money can withstand the pressure and bad weather day-to-day market conditions cause. All aboard? Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on the money. Some thoughts on asymmetrical returns. It's one of the one of the real sort of I suppose I don't say it's a secret, but it's one of the gems of the market. Asymmetrical, not equal. In other words, a stock can go to zero. You buy a share, it goes to zero. You've lost a hundred percent. That's a horror show, and I want to come back to that in a second. But the point is that if you buy a different stock, it can go up multiples of a hundred percent. So say you buy two shares, one goes to zero, one triples in price, quadruples in price. It's that asymmetrical. It's the fact that your losers are capped at a simple 100% down, and there's no fun in that, but they capped at that, whereas your winners are completely uncapped. Now, if you're trading derivatives, this is not necessarily the case because, quite simply, you can lose more than you start with. In other words, you can have more than a 100% loss, and that then becomes hugely painful. Also, if you are shorting a share, you sell a share you don't own in the expectation that it will fall and you can make a profit buying it back at a lower share price. Of course, if it suddenly rallies higher, again, you can lose more than that 100%. But in the basic, simple buying shares, holding shares and exiting at some point, that asymmetry really does play a powerful part. Now, to the 100% downside, let's be clear, you never want to hold a stock that's going to zero. That is an absolute horror show. So remember, a stock that is halved can halve again. A stock that is down 90% can go down 90% again. Don't just continue to hold in the hope that things get better. In the ideal world, you want to avoid those 100% losses. That's it for today. We were chatting with uh, Petri Redenhuis from Herenia Capital Advisors yesterday, talking about Brent as it, as it had slipped below $80. It's now slightly back above $80, but it's looking, it's just looking weak. And, and, and the only real logic for that is that, well, then the global economy must be running weak. I mentioned in the interview yesterday, uh, European manufacturers uh, ordered the lowest, used the lowest amount of oil in 40 years. Mostly they use it for lubrication, but it's telling you the story of 
uh, a global economy which is not rocking and rolling. The U.S. is looking fine, but Europe is looking weak. We asked you if, if Brent could go down to the low 70s, 40% said you hoped so. Third said absolutely not. It'll head higher soon enough, while the rest were definitely looks like it. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning, the MoneyWeb website and the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nubokle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again Monday, platforms for listing ETFs. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.